we've had a lot of really great and deep conversations. And um, so we've developed a really strong relationship over the years. And, and I know just looking around the crowd, he, all the people that he's impacted and have a similar relationship with him. So um, we've just grown close together. And eventually, Mark and Tracy joined our small group. So we were all able to share in their journey. And we've all come to love them and, and be great friends with them. And, and they're truly two of my favorite people in the whole world. So today, they're going to share their, the story of their journey with you. And it's not an easy one. It's been, it's been challenging. They've overcome addictions. They've broken the cycle of abuse that could have gone on for generations. Um, it's a story of perseverance and absolute dependency on God. But most of all, I think it's a, a truly amazing love story. I know it sounds a little corny, but it, it really is. And, and just watching them has strengthened my own faith. And I, I just hope that today, hearing their story will help you believe that there's hope. No matter what the circumstances, with God, anything's possible. So it's a, it's a privilege of mine to introduce Mark and Tracy. So please welcome to stage Mark and Tracy Sullivan. If we could have all the fourth and fifth graders stand up and go to your classrooms, if you would do that. Thank you. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Oh, I can hear myself. Okay, good. Um, thank you, Andy, and thank you, worship team, for all those songs. You just told our story in those songs, so thank you. Um, I'd like to open up in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share your story, um, not ours, but your story with others, and just to bring hope to people. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, and thank you for this church. Amen. Amen. And the reason why I'm up here Mark was supposed to share his own story without me, but he invited me to be along his side because we've been together for most of our lives together, so we've been through a lot together. So here I am with Mark. <laughs> I can't, most of you who know me, and you know, it's, it's amazing I'm even up here, but I'm grateful and blessed to share God's, you know, his love for us. So um, I'm going to share a little bit about my childhood. Um, a little bit about my background. Um, my biological dad died um, of alcoholism when I was five. And from I don't really remember him, but from the ages of seven to 14, I was abused by my stepdad. My mom remarried quickly. And then, you know, I was physically, mentally, and sexually abused by him, which caused a lot of shame in my life. Um, and I, hate, I couldn't hardly go to school. You know, I got locked outside a lot in the cold when I was younger, and just some things to share, just so you know where it got us to where we are. Um, and my mom got hit a lot by this person, and so I would be in my room crying at night when I was a kid, praying to God, you know, God, help us, help me, 
So I knew back then that there was a God, you know, because I was crying to him for some reason. Um, so I prayed a lot to God back then. We didn't go to church, but um, anyway, I had a brother, and I thought it was my job to keep my family safe, so I took a lot of the abuse um, from, from my stepdad, mostly sexually, um, to keep them safe. Um, so I grew up with distorted thinking. Um, and a lot of my tools were pe pleasing people, you know, with whatever I had to use, you know, in school, just to be liked, you know, sexually or whatever it had to be. So, you know, I grew up with the wall around my heart. Can you hear me, guys? Let's put this. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Okay. So anyway, um, that's part of my um, growing up. wasn't very pretty. Um, so I will let Mark. And I did grow up with a lot of hatred for myself, too, during all that time. So, Mark, your turn. Can you hear me, guys? Can, you, can everybody hear me? Yes. Okay. So, I'm kind of sure. loud anyway. <laughs> so, I, I, work, I work in construction, and uh, when I get home from work, uh, I start yelling at my wife, and, and she has to tell me, inside voice, inside voice. <laughs> um, so... I just want to share with you, one, one of the reasons why I'm up here is just flat out because um, the Lord is adamant that I do this. I have had countless conversations with him trying to convince him that um, it's not the right time, I need to be healed more, um, but on my way to work uh, in my truck, while, while in meditation, he would bring my, my life and my pain into view for me, and he would let me know the impact that our story can have on people. Because that's what God does, right? God uses people's story to teach us and to heal us and to bring us closer to him. Uh, a little bit about my childhood... Uh, Tracy and I both grew up in Mesa. Um, we grew up about, uh, I want to say, roughly five to six miles apart. Um, we were both going through roughly the same type of a situation. Um, I have an older brother and an older sister. Um, the earliest memory, really, that I have of my childhood was I was born with a, a, a rare bone disorder called Perthes disease, and I had to wear a, a, a brace on my leg for three years. So while I was in elementary school, I had to wear this brace. I couldn't put any pressure on my left leg whatsoever. And uh, there was a tremendous amount of teasing. Uh, I was made fun of every day. Uh, along with that, I know that I knew that I was this huge burden on my parents. Um, and you know, my dad let me know on a regular basis what a burden I was. Um, all through my growing up until I was 11 years old, I never experienced one time in my life any affirmation or any love whatsoever. Uh, my dad was extremely violent. Um, my parents fought constantly, and when they got into fights, they didn't just argue. They ripped cupboards off the wall. They threw dishes. Uh, you know, I've seen my dad be in countless fights in stores, uh, throwing things, uh, 
the, the biggest, the, the most impactful memory that I have of my dad are really two things. One is when he would look at me, he looked at me with complete and total disgust. Um, I don't ever remember him looking at me with any type of love or affection whatsoever. I never heard the words I love you from either my mom or my dad. Um, my mom was extremely neglectful. Um, and the other thing that my dad did was he would get drunk. Both my parents were alcoholic, and my, my dad would get drunk, and I was just terrified of him. Um, he would get drunk, and he would make me sit on his recliner. Sorry. And uh, he would sit on me, and uh, he would sit on me until I passed out. And I don't know if you've ever had the feeling of suffocating, but he, he would tell me that he was doing that to make me tough. And uh, so needless to say, you know, going into, you know, my teenage years, uh, I had some baggage, a lot of it. Um, there was a tremendous amount of sexual immorality in my house. Um, my parents were um, open about their... Uh, actions together. Um, when I was 11 years old, um, my, I, was, I was at Williams Air Force Base in, this, in the bowling alley, uh, and this airman, this, this young airman came over and started playing pinball with me, and uh, you know, he was nice to me. This guy was nice to me, and uh, it's something that I really didn't experience uh, in my lifetime. And I have no idea why, but for whatever reason, my parents allowed him to take me to San Francisco for a week in a U-Haul to go get his stuff. And uh, he molested me the entire time that I was gone for that trip. Now, that has been buried with me. For the last 50 years, um, only recently have I been able to get some clarity and some help for what happened to me. Um, so the other thing that I learned from my dad was that I just did what I was told to do when I was told to do it. So. I wasn't one of those kids who, if I had chores on Saturday morning, which I did, um, I, I just did my chores. I was terrified of this man. Um, so much so that, like, one of my chores was to dust all the knickknacks and everything in the living room. You know, it, it basically took me, like, two hours because I, for, for, for two reasons, I did it to perfection one was out of fear, but the other one was hoping at some point that he would be able to give me a thumbs up and say, good job. So I became a perfectionist out of that situation with my dad. Um, and then I ended up at 13 years old uh, being bullied at school, not knowing how to handle it. I was being bullied by my brother. 
Um, so I got sick of it, and I asked my mom if she would be willing to pay for karate lessons for me. So I started taking karate. Um, that's where I met her. Yes. So um, my mom put us both into karate when I was 14 to get away from the household situation that we were in. So I met Mark at 14, and I still say he was my angel to this day because... That's when I met him, and he took me out of my home. I went to live with his sister, um, and he took me to school every day. He took himself to school every day. He was very responsible. Um, but the promiscuous behavior that I still had carried on through high school, and still the people-pleasing and the shame and all that still was a tool for me. So um, it was tough being in high school, but... With Mark in my life at that time, sorry guys, with Mark, with Mark beginning my life at that time was a blessing to me. I just didn't know it at that point in time. So, so, so from the time I was 13 until I was almost 17 years old, I lived and breathed martial arts. I was at the dojo every single day. And it did a lot for me. I don't know where I'd be without that today because... Uh, my karate instructor got this frail, little, you know, beat up, weak little guy, and he just trained me in such a way that um, I became confident about being able to protect myself, um, which I ended up doing. Uh, my brother, my older brother used to beat me up a lot, and uh, I want to say roughly, you know, six months after I started taking karate, my dad used to like to watch us fight, and uh, he would egg us on to fight, and, you know, that was part of the making me tough type thing, and uh, my brother came at me, and I ended up defending myself and, and hurting my brother, and uh, I remember my dad came out, he came into my room, and he was mad at me because he thought I hit him with something, because uh, his face was bleeding, and, and uh, I remember looking at my dad, and he goes, what'd you hit him with, what'd you hit him with, and I you know, just gave him a fist. And I remember that that was the very first time that my dad ever looked at me with any type of affirmation was because I had defended myself and beat my brother up. Um, I will tell you now, I do not have a relationship with either one of my parents, my brother or my sister. Um, I have tried to heal those relationships. Um, it, our family is broken. It's full of addiction, full of pain, full of just guilt, and, uh, you know, it's tough. I, I, haven't, I haven't really had any contact with my father in, uh, you know, 23 years, my brother in 20 years. Uh, I, I try to make amends. I try to make things right with my, my mom a couple times, uh, which I'll never do again because I heard this same old thing that I'm worthless, not ever going to amount to anything. I was nothing but a burden to them, and uh, it just took me down this road of lack of self-worth uh, again and again. So um, I met Tracy's mom first before I met her. Uh, she came in to start taking karate before her brother and uh, her came in, and her mom took an immediate liking to me. And at 16 years old, I had had no childhood. I stole tennis shoes for me to get to work 
And back when I was younger, we didn't have clothes dryers. They put clothes out on the line. So I would go to my neighbor's house and I would, I would steal clothes in order for me to have some clothes. Um, I have been hungry. Uh, I remember eating asparagus for like three days straight. Um, if you ever have me over, please do not serve me asparagus. <laughs> I cannot even stand the smell or the look of asparagus to this day. Um, you know, but, but growing up, I, I didn't know any different. I did not know that there was a different way to live. Um, so when I met Tracy, uh, I was 15, she was 14. I immediately fell in love with her. And, and I truly believe that God, what happened was when she was younger, five or six miles away from me, and, and, and I was in my bedroom and she was in her bedroom and we were in the corner you know, and she was praying to God, you know, please help me, please help me. And I was in my closet, you know, please help me, please help me. Little did we know that she would be the help for me and I would be the help for her. Because if, if any other girl would have been introduced into my life, they would not have stayed. You don't stay with, with what we've been through. Um, so... A couple things happened. Tracy was not in a good environment in her house. Her mom had separated from her stepdad and uh, ended up uh, immediately getting into a relationship with another stepdad who I knew in karate before her. And uh, th again, this was an extremely violent man and um, she was not in a good situation. I was the absolute most responsible 16-year-old you've ever met in your life. I got myself up for school. I dressed myself. I, I, I did whatever I needed to do that was in front of me. I never missed one day of school. Um, I, I just, I, I didn't even know that it was an option to miss a day of school. I just had grown up in this mode where you just have to do the next right thing in front of you um, without choice. And with her being in this bad situation and I started dating her, this, this man did not like me. He was jealous of the relationship that I had with her mom and with her. So he came up with the idea of um, they called me one night and said, you're not allowed to see Tracy anymore. That's like taking air from me and it's like taking air from her because we were all we were all that 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 we had was each other that didn't work out too well <laughs> that didn't work out too well no we're together so anyway. <laughs> um go ahead so sorry <laughs> sorry about that so i called tracy immediately and i said she was she, was, uh, she, she had just turned 15 years old. I was still 16. And I asked her, flat out, do you want to be with me? She said yes. I told her, pack your stuff. I'm coming to get you. So I went and got her. No plan. Just knew that I was going to be with her. So um, my, my older sister at the time was living in Chandler. 
she ended up moving in with her. Um, I moved back into my parents' house. I had moved out of my parents' house when I was 14. I moved back in in order for me to get through high school and to get her through school. Um, that didn't work out very well either. Um, so when I was 17 years old, I woke up in the morning. I was in a special program too. I was partially emancipated uh, when I was 16. I could sign my own documents and whatnot. I was able to prove that, um, that I was not being cared for in, in a way uh, social work was involved. So I was able to sign my own name and whatnot. And, and I was also a part of this program where because I was working so many hours at the dojo, I received credit hours, high school credit hours for, uh, for being in, you know, for working. So I got out of school really early. So when I was, so I would wake up in the morning, I would go to school and then I went to school at six. I got out at 7.45. I got her to school. I took her to school went to Chandler, took her to school, I went to the dojo, I worked. Then when she got out of school, I went, picked her up from school, took her back to Chandler, and then I went back to work at the dojo until I, about nine o'clock at night. And I did that every day until I graduated from high school. Once I graduated from high school, my, my dad came up to me. He said, get out. That's what he said, get out. I no longer need to take care of you. Get out of my house. And so I asked him if I could have a couple weeks. He said I could have till the end of the weekend. Um, I had no plan, had no plan. And now I have her to take care of. And so I called the uh, Air Force recruiting station. Now, I, mind you, prior to this, the one thing that I also want you guys to understand is when when you when you're raised like Tracy and I, when you when you grow up like us, there is no ambition. There, there, there is nothing but survival mode. We were in survival mode every day of our lives. So when you're in 100% survival mode, you don't think to yourself, what am I going to do after high school? What? I never one time ever thought about going to college. I never thought about what I was going to do after high school. I was living day to day just trying to survive. And so when I did get out of high school, I had no plan. And... Um, the quickest thing that I could think of was to go into the service. So I ended up going. So I graduate high school. I think it was a Friday. I go talk to a Navy recruiter on Monday morning. Okay. My parents, the government doesn't accept emancipation. So my parents had to sign for me to go in because I was only 17 years old. So Monday night, my parents signed the paperwork for me to go into the military Tuesday morning, I'm in Phoenix doing all of the testing and everything in order to go in. Wednesday morning, I'm in boot camp. That's how quick that happened for me. Um, Tracy moved in to my parents' house. She, went, she moved in my bedroom because uh, my sister couldn't take care of her anymore uh, for the next three months while I was in boot camp and then uh, uh, A school. And while Mark was in boot camp, I was at his house, still in an abusive situation with the alcohol and stuff, so I checked out and I was partying, um, doing drugs, um, hanging out with, with guys, um, just doing what I could to, to be in survival. I was still in survival mode at that time. Um, and then one day I get a phone call from Mark saying, do you want to marry me over the phone? I said, yes, I do. 
Um, and I think in his mind he knew how, what kind of life I was living, but he still accepted me anyway. So we just, I said, yes, I want to marry you. And um, I was able to go to Japan with him at that time. Okay, we're trying to condense 38 years in 30 minutes. Um, so the purpose of us being really kind of transparent about our childhood is, is for you guys to understand um, just the healing that God's done in our life, right? Like, um, it's, it's amazing how, you know, I, so I, I try to help as many people as I can and and when couples are in a relationship and they have uh, some, some past stuff that they're trying to deal with, right? I, I look at it like this. Each, each time that, that we develop shame or remorse or guilt or somebody puts us down um, and we don't, we're not able to, to heal that, right? We're not able to take that to God and have that healed, you know, I look at it like, you know, it's a little pebble, right? And you throw that in your backpack of life that you carry around, right? And, and so this backpack, right, depending on, you know, how much of that you have, you bring that baggage to the relationship, right? Well, Tracy and I had truckloads of this, these, these pebbles in our backpack. And so what ended up happening was, my, in my core belief of who I was as a person, right, because I didn't have God in my life. I, I, I knew nothing really about God. I knew there was a God, but my core belief was that I was no good. Didn't measure up. And I've lived with that my whole life. And, you know, I don't feel that way about myself today. I see self-worth in me. And it's this journey that we've been on in order for us to get there. But you know, we often talk about masks, right, that we wear, okay? And, and, and here's, here's where my mask comes from because I've done countless, I, you know, I got sober. I got sober in, in July of 1995, and, uh, you know, I've done, since then, for the last 24 years, I have been trying to work on myself, uh, trying to, to just get better, try to heal the things that need to be healed. And um, if... if when, when I feel a lack of self-worth and she says something to me like, I'm not able to pay the electric bill this Friday, right? What I just heard was, you're a loser. You, you can't support us. And I don't even know why I married you. That's, that's what I always heard. Um, I didn't hear the part that she's going to be able to pay it next week. You know what I mean? In other words, my defenses go immediately up. And I've had my dukes up in life for 55 years of my life, fighting to protect that 11-year-old boy who was damaged and wounded by my parents and this other guy and just life, just stuff that happened to me. So in between that time, we ended up having three kids. One was born in Japan. And even though we had our three kids going to high school and stuff, you know, Mark and I still weren't okay deep down. You know, we still had a lot of shame and, you know, isolation. And, you know, we tried the best we could. And I couldn't love him like I, sh like I 
should have as a wife because I didn't know how to love myself. Um, so in 2006, um, we started coming to Hope. Um, our son used to come to Hope, and Anna used to bring our son to Hope in the youth group a long time ago, and um, she's been a real blessing to him. And um, But in 2006, Mark and I started coming to Hope, and we were baptized by Dwayne Cross. Um, and... You know, I felt good at the time, but I still wasn't okay with, with myself. I still had the shame. I was carrying all the shame, and shame is such a big thing. It's just, it's just a big killer. Um, so I was just trying to fit in at Hope, and I was just frozen in fear of people. And, and so when I went to talk to Duane, he told me to read Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Um, I don't know. Is it up on the board? Anyway, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, of all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I tried to do that for a long time. You know, I read the Bible every day and did things that I thought I should be doing, and it's still, there's just still something there that I couldn't, couldn't get over. So for me, my healing journey... Uh, in 2006, I, I, I met Brian Pollard. Um, I started working with the youth group, which was the beginning of this amazing journey of understanding who God is as it relates to my life. Um, you know, watching Brian with these teenage kids and how these kids reacted to his teachings, you know, I was just like a little kid in there. And, um, you know, going up to camp with them. Um, I mean, if you want to see the most amazing sight you've ever seen as far as worship goes, Google, you know, teenage kids camp worship, right? I mean, we sing here and, you know, we, we put our hands up and, you know what I mean? These kids jump around, slam into each other. They hug, they, you know what I mean? And so these kids, they loved me. They loved on me. You know, I opened up to them, and, uh, you know, they loved on me. Mikey Descoli, um, you know, the Carlbergs, uh, the Carries kids, I mean, just loved on me. And there was this song called Dancing Generation, and it's, uh, you know, 7 o'clock on a Saturday night, and we're worshiping, and, you know, these kids are just bumping into me, and, you know, I'm all, yep. You know, this is a great song, you know, and... <laughs> You know, something happened in that moment where I submitted my life to Christ. And I was saved in 2006, um, changed my life. But just because I got saved, in other words, I believed that Christ died for me. And I was willing to turn my life over to him. And I did repent of my sins. Unfortunately, folks, the story isn't all roses after that. It doesn't work like that for me. I still felt like the dust of a piece of crap inside. No, no, no worthiness whatsoever. So, you know, a couple things that, that, that happened along the way that I, that I have to mention is um, in, in uh, 2016, uh, July 4th of 2000. 
June 4th of 2016, Tracy and I picked up alcohol again. Um, that did not go good at all. Um, within four months, and prior to this, we were doing pretty well. Um, you know, we had raised our kids. Um, they were doing well. We had grandkids. And um, September of 2016, uh, we don't drink like normal people, by the way. Um, we started drinking morning, noon, and night right away, taking shots, um, taking alcohol with us in the vehicle so that we could have a shot. You know, we, that's just not normal. To a, we took alcohol to a Christian concert. That's how delusional we were. Yeah. It was bad. I'm not sure about your... Yes, and September 26th, um, I, Mark and I were going to get an argument, and I took shots of a bottle of whiskey, and... I ended up getting a DUI that night. I left the house not remembering how I got out the door, how I even got to where I was, like five miles down the road. I think God has sent an angel for me that night because I could have killed someone, I could have been killed. Um, but again, it's that shame that drove me to that, um, that place, that dark place. So I got a DUI, um, and it was very horrible. I didn't go to jail that night. Mark talked the sheriff into letting me go home that night. Um, but that was the beginning of a dark place for us. So for the next four days, Tracy and I were locked up in our house drinking. I became extremely violent, throwing things around. Um, I had completely renounced God. I told him, get out of our house, get away from me. I want nothing to do with him. Um, and Satan's minions showed up. They showed up and they were in our house. Um, I didn't know at the time that Tracy could see them as well, but they were visible. Um, they were on our ceiling. They were in our stairwell. They were completely all over our house. Um, there's two things that I knew. I knew that they could do whatever they wanted to us at any time, and I knew that, they, that we could do nothing about it. I knew it. And fast forward four days, July 30th of 2016, I make a plan. I can't do this anymore. I take Tracy. We take a bunch of shots. We go up in our bedroom. I lock the door. I go get my 9mm revolver. I set her down on the couch and I was going to let her watch me end my life. Um, I sat at the foot of our bed, put the gun to my head with every single intention of ending my life. There wasn't a part of me that could go on any longer. As I put the gun to my head and I pulled the trigger, something happened to changed the projectile of the bullet to, to move my head. Something hit me. Um, the gun went off. Tracy freaked out and bailed. Um, she called my son and asked for help. And uh, for the next month, I lived in my house alone, wanting to die. Um, I immediately called Andy Carey, 
he had just flown into California, and I told him what happened, and uh, I hadn't talked to him in about six years, five or six years. And the first thing he said was, I'll be right there. And I can hear him tell whoever he was talking to that he was flying back to Arizona immediately. And I was like, no, 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 no. No, I'm okay. Um, so then I called Brian Pollard. I told him what happened. Uh, and I called my sponsor. I told him what happened. And then Tracy moved in with my daughter. Um, she was done with me. She didn't want anything to do with me. And uh, I came to hope. And, uh, you know, God freaks me out because he puts people, right, in, in the right places at the right time because I was so scared to come here. I mean, you want to talk about the prodigal son? I walked through those doors, and I was ready to leave, and there's Stacy Heimke's. She sees me. She sees him crying, and she immediately went over to me and just grabbed me and hugged me, and she would not let me go. And of course, Brian Pollard was in the foyer as well. And they just circled me and hugged me. And so for the next month, um, Andy, my sponsor, Terry, and uh, Brian Pollard talked to me every single day about why I should not kill myself because I did not want to be here any longer. Um, you know, Tracy ended up coming back to me uh, our anniversary was 11-6. She ended up coming back to me. Um, and then we started our road to start to heal our past. For the next three years to this point, we have done nothing but work our tails off to try to heal the things in our past that need to be healed in order for us to just have some sort of joy um, well, I have to share this. While I was at my daughter's house, um, without Mark, I, there was one day that I just couldn't do this anymore. I'm living with my daughter, and my husband almost killed himself. And I just got on my hands and knees one day in my bedroom at my daughter's house, and I just asked God, God, I can't do this anymore. I need you in my life. And that was a breaking point for me. Um, after I did that, just things weren't easy. But they were, I could feel the healing starting in my heart. I just knew that, you know, that's when I got counseling, therapy. You know, I did all these self-esteem classes. Um, and that's when we got back together, like 45 days later. Yeah, and so the one thing, you never know the impact when, when we feel the Holy Spirit, right? We feel that immediate urge to do something, say something, text something, go up to somebody, right? We never know the impact of what that is because only God knows, you know? Um, Brian Pollard, I love this man. And Andy Carey, you know, my, the men in my small group, these men saved my life. I don't know how else to say it. You know, Brian told me, Brian goes, for whatever reason, he goes, Dude, just listen to Christian music all day. Just whatever <laughs> that you do. Does just, help. That helps a lot. Just listen to Christian music all day. So 
here I am at 3.30 in the morning, um, you know, you know, I, I, I was detoxing off of alcohol, and I was also detoxing off of opiates at the same time in my house alone. Uh, I detoxed for seven days, um, and then I went to work for this company. And one morning, late October, I'm listening to Christian music, and Chris Tomlin, I cannot stand, uh, when, I, when, I, when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you, comes on my phone, and... And I'm, I'm watching this Christian song, and all of a sudden, this photo of Tracy. She's in this video. Um, this photo of Tracy being hugged by Jesus, and his heart is protruding this light. This, it, looked exact, it looks exactly like her. And, and when I saw that, I mean, I, something happened inside of me where I, again, asked God to come into my life. Um, and then, you know, then her and I, for the next year, we were really in like this trance mode. We were just surviving. We had dinner together. Um, Tracy ended up getting sentenced. I had to go to Tent City for 14 days, and that actually, it was very scary, but for some reason I was at peace with it, um, because I had God in my heart at that time, and... Somehow, I was just at peace with going to, to jail. Um, I had a lot of support. Joy Boydston, um, she just, every morning when I'd go home from jail, I, get, I got to go home and I got, because I got work release, I would come home and on my phone would be, you know, passages from the Bible, just these loving messages, and that, you know, people from this church have helped us through hard times like that. But I did go to jail. Um, Tent City wasn't very fun at all. But I had God with me. I took my Bible in there and read Psalms the whole time I was in there, and that made it so much easier. So one of the things that happened was uh, Tracy told me that we were going over to Phyllis and Frank Fortin's house for dinner. And I'm like, who are they and why are we going? Um, I did not want to go. Um, but we went there. And Frank doesn't know this. He doesn't know that I'm sharing this. But um, the one thing, even though I was saved, the one thing that I never felt or experienced was love. I didn't know what that felt like. I really didn't. I mean, I, I knew she loved me, but I'm talking about like really feeling a deep sense of love. Not judgment, not because of, just love. And uh, for whatever reason... You know, during this dinner, this man, Frank Fortin, who I've never met before in my life, like six times, right in the middle of dinner, just would go, Mark, you know Jesus loves you, right? And I would be like, yeah. And he would go, he loves you more than you could ever imagine. Like, he did that repeatedly. And it kind of freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> um... But then something happened on the way home that penetrated this solid block wall that I had put around my heart to protect myself. And I had this small glimmer that maybe Jesus could love me at the same time. And then I went to the men's retreat 
up north. Again, didn't want to go. Um, you know, saw men happy, joyous, free, living life. I'm miserable. I want to die. I don't even want to be here. Um, and then at our very first lesson, you know, this guy, Doug Glenn, who I'd never met before, gets up and opens up with basically the, the lesson was about wiping the face of our earthly father off the face of God. And this lesson um, was extremely healing for me. Um, you know, you get a bunch of men at a men's group, right? Men's retreat, right? It, there's a lot of testosterone. There's a lot of ego. There's a lot of pride. Um, that wasn't what that was about for me. I needed healing. So, you know, Doug would say something, man, and I'd have to bail. I'd go outside and I'd cry. Um, but what happened is I learned this early in recovery that when we do step studies or we do studies at church and in the group, right, we're able to get through maybe half of the questions, right? I've always learned that I need to go home and I need to get in quiet and I need to do the rest of the questions and I need to review the questions that were asked because that's when God does the work in private, alone with me. So I wasn't sleeping. I had PTSD from my childhood, the suicide attempt. I wasn't sleeping at all. So 2.30 in the morning the ca in the cafeteria, um, I am going through the workbook and uh, Jeremiah 29.11 came up. Uh, and I read this. And it says, for the plans I know, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you, will come, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So in that moment, again, I had the most amazing moment with God where I let his love completely wash every cell in my body. And I have never been the same since that moment with God in that cafeteria on my own. Um, and then I came back, Brian calls it coming back down off the mountain where we find God and we, we feel God and then we come down off the mountain and we, we, we start to get life hits us and you know, I ended up meeting with Doug on a repeat, you know, constantly. Um, and Doug loved me through this, my past. Um, I ended up going to Mending the Soul. My Mending the Soul brothers are here. Um, these guys, you know, we went through this, this process, which is an extremely intense process of healing that allows God to touch the past. And these men helped me to not feel so alone and uh, they, they shared their own stories and their stories are no different than mine. A lot of pain, a lot of shame. Um, shame for us today, I recognize shame in Tracy before she can see it. Um, so I just want to say one more thing myself. 
Keep going, honey. Um, he has a lot to say. So, so, so I see her not for what she's done. I see her for who she is. That's how I see her. And I know her story. I know her childhood. I know what she's been through. And so I have nothing but compassion and love and grace for her. And so when things happen in our house, like an example, I don't know, a month ago, I took a drink of my coffee. It's Saturday morning. I take a drink of my coffee and I burn the inside of my mouth. So, so I react to it. I'm like, oh, you know, and she's like, what's the matter? And I was like, my coffee is so hot. She immediately went into her childhood. She immediately went to, this is my fault. I should have told you. I could see it inside of her. And she started to make excuses for why the coffee was hot. And I, here's what we do with each other now. When, when I see that in her, I stop and I say, Tracy, who are you? Are you okay? Come here. I hug her and I pray. And I pray and I tell her who she is. Because her and I are constantly going back to our childhood to try to protect ourselves. And so today we watch after each other and we recognize that in each other. And so we try to protect each other from our own selves. Yeah, so every morning we read the Bible together and pray together and just understand each other from where we've been and, and who we are today. And um, I want to say a couple things. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I am proud of you for the changes you made, honey. And it's just because of all the, the people aren't, that God has put in our lives, the church family, you know, mending the soul, Yvonne Devon, I don't know if she's here, but she's also been a big deal in my healing. You know, this Pam Carlberg, I mean, just so many people here at Hope just accepted us for where we, are, where we were and even today. So we're just grateful for this church. And I, don't, I want to mention so many people, but I don't, Heidi and Doug and... Will and just everybody. Just love all you guys. Um, so we're celebrating 37 years of marriage. Um, and, thank you. And through the grace of God, the last couple of years, you know, my son got baptized last week. He didn't even believe in God at all. Um, and my mom and I haven't spoke for three years, so I, in between the three years we weren't speaking, she found the Lord, and today we have a close relationship. Um, and just me being up here with Mark today is a, that's a miracle. Thank you, Stacy. <laughs> See, Stacy knows me. A lot of you guys know me, but I'm just, I feel that God wanted me up here with Mark just to share his grace for everybody. And I want to read one more um, verse. I know we're running out of time. We need a whole day. Anyway, I want to read Romans 5, 3, 4. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope, and that's how we live today. So I, do, I thought I just had one more thing to say. So I, I do want to say that, that our small group, okay, our small group loved on us in such a way that a 
a small group is supposed to. So if you're out there and you're struggling with something, if something's happened to you in the past and it's your secret and it's yours alone, don't let it be anymore. Don't let it be. You're not alone. There's people that will help you. Whether you grab Tracy or me or one of the pastors or somebody at the prayer table, you got to break the silence because that silence is what keeps us in the dark. Shining the light on what happened starts to begin to shine the light on us and tell us who we really are. It's not your fault what happened to you. Not your fault. And if you've been hurt, I'm sorry for you. I'm really sorry. The value of being able to grab somebody and share your story or just to talk through what's going on with you, it's priceless. It's priceless. I mean, Dalton and I, we were greeting out there and, you know, we had five minutes where towards the end where nobody was coming up and I was like, you know, hey, Dalton, you know, how'd you get saved? You know what I mean? And so Dalton proceeds to tell me how he got saved. It's the most amazing story you've ever heard. I've known this man for years. And, and so I got to share something intimate and close with, with him. And so I'm bonded with him now. Heidi Glenn and I went to a fourth step at a treatment center. And, and uh, you know, we thought we were there for the treatment center or, you know, for this girl. And in the parking lot, her and I got to completely bond as a brother and sister in Christ. She opens up to me. I opened up to her. So if we're in a group setting, you're safe. But if you're with me and it's just me and you, we're going deep. <laughs> we got stuff we need to talk about. So thank you for the opportunity to let us share. You know, um, I just, I get so excited hearing stories of how God changes the lives of people. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it fantastic just to see what he will do? And, and like they both said, they could, there are lots of stories upon stories in their journey uh, and, and constantly just seeing where God would take horrible situations and bring them towards good and woo their hearts to him. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure about a relationship with God or maybe you're trying to explore this idea and you just aren't quite wondering. Maybe you're wondering even like, do I have to get my life together before I can have a relationship with God? And the answer to that is no. You come to Jesus as you are. You come with your mess. You come with your stuff You come with your addictions, you come with your habits, and you come with all of it, and you come to Jesus. That's how we come to him, just as we are. And there's no magic little, you know, wand that gets waved and everything is immediately wonderful again. Like sometimes people get free of stuff, wham, right away. But for most of us, then, we now are on a journey of healing through some of the stuff that's happened to us in our past. And again, your story, guys, reminds me of the beauty of the fact that Jesus never leaves us alone in our stuff, 
But he continues to invite us into wholeness, into healing, into hope in him. And friends, that's available. That's available. Um, Will you stand? I'm going to pray a blessing over us. But if you are someone that's here this morning, and and maybe you find yourself in one of those two camps, um, I'm going to ask our prayer team to head back to the prayer corner. And when we leave today... Don't walk out those doors without stopping and praying with somebody on our prayer team. Maybe you're someone that goes, you know what? I want to make that decision to follow Jesus today. I want to give my life to Christ today. And our prayer team would love to pray with you and walk you through that. Um, So don't leave without stopping um, and connecting with them. And maybe you've got some stuff in your story, some hurts, some places that need some healing, and you just need to get it into the light You just need to even say it out loud and ask somebody to pray with you over just even a part of it. Our prayer team would love, love, love and be honored to stand with you and to do that as well. Um, Again, Mark and Tracy, thanks for honoring us with your story and your honesty. Love you guys. Thank you. And now, people of hope, as you go into your world this week, may you experience the love the grace, the tenderness of Jesus. And may you take the love and grace that he extends to you and be a safe place for other people to tell their stories, to find hope in Jesus. We bless you now as you go in the name of the Father and the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.